Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber, Mike Santoli at the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer has the morning off. Bull's going to try to seize the opportunity after last week's bounce. Important week ahead with Chair Powell on the Hill. We got jolts, got jobs Friday. Tenure is back to 3.9. Our roadmap begins with uh, the macro picture and the market implications. Mary Daly sounding a clear warning on the inflationary threat as investors await Powell's testimony and the latest read on jobs. Plus, China gets cautious. Beijing announcing its lowest economic growth target in a quarter century. And Tesla cuts prices again. This time it's it's on its top selling U.S. cars. That is the fifth cut in prices this year. Let's begin with a new week for the markets, including Powell on the Hill and Friday's key jobs report. Mike, where the estimates somewhere in the 230 range, uh, nowhere near the 517 from last month. No. uh, And, you know, obviously we'd have to brace for something much stronger than that at this point. That's the mode we're in. Um, Yeah, last week's bounce kind of happened right where and when it probably had to to keep the February pullback from seeming very routine uh, and having absorbed this big move in yields and Fed expectations. So when you have all the Fed speak now and you have Powell on on the hill tomorrow, um, the market has already kind of gone beyond what the standing Fed stale December-based outlook for rates was, right? So when Mary Daly comes out at San Francisco Fed and says, well, we're going to have to do more than we thought we were going to, um, that's a good reminder that the economy's remained strong and inflation's been stickier than we'd like, but it's also not news to the market. So I think that's where we are. If Powell seems alarmed that he really opens up uh, the uh, possibility of a half percent in March, maybe the market has to struggle with that a little bit because, you know, he remember how reluctant he was to suggest that the Fed might pause and then restart rate hikes. He just doesn't like that idea that you're going to be on this erratic path and you want to be on a, a kind of a glide trajectory. So I don't know if he has a similar hesitancy to go for, down to a quarter point moves and then up to a half. So that's I think that's the game we're playing right now. But I mean, the way the, the stock market has handled it is. Everything that rates directly touch has been hurt pretty bad. That includes housing, uh, includes some manufacturing, but also the parts of the market like utilities and staples and dividend and no growth stuff. Um, And then cyclicals have been ripping. And so the market's acting like this is like an early cycle acceleration as opposed to uh, we're waiting for the recession to kick in any minute right now. You know, listen, I come back to to Mike Wilson at uh, Morgan Stanley, which we're going to talk about. We will right now. And I've mentioned this a number of times because I think it's, it's the case. He has an algorithm that's stapled to him, meaning there are trades that occur as a result of his calls. Yes. Um, and I think there are algorithms that actually do their thing based on what has been his overarching theme and continues right now. But, Mike, I mean, the simple quote here, and we're looking at it, is the end there. Yeah. Earnings estimates too high, therefore bear market not over. That's exactly. He's been very consistent. He's got these leading indicators of, of how earnings are going to be revised down. Um, he's coming up now with, and we talked about this, I think, last week or the week before, which is uh, this scrutinizing of earnings quality. 
And he's basically saying not only are estimates coming down, but earnings quality has been poor enough that there's kind of more shoes to drop. It's been a lot of inventory build. The, the accounting is not as sturdy in terms of reported earnings relative to cash flows. And he's not talking about wrongdoing or no. deception. He's talking about where we are in the cycle and companies kind of run out of the ability to make earnings. So that could be the case. Um, on the other hand, earnings estimates have been going down pretty consistently. Right. Uh, it's only had kind of isolated effect in terms of where it's really hit the markets. Um, and so, you know, you wonder. And then it becomes just, again, the argument over valuation. And is the valuation of on, on current earnings and maybe a little bit of a haircut from current earnings excessive or is it okay for where we are in this right. cycle? We've been talking, though, about uh, Wilson for a couple of weeks now. He does say uh, the market reacted strongly on this second yeah. test uh, last week. We have to respect that successful test and decide what it means. Uh, he also says that if you did get back to 4150, long-term trend line, um, it would acknowledge that the, the bear market, uh, I don't know. That's, exactly. And is, yeah. he, is he trying to craft an out? I think he's just being respectful of the market itself. And everybody has to recognize that um, whenever the market does get escape velocity from a bear phase, whenever it really does reassert itself, it's not because everything is okay. And it's not because it feels like it's the right time. And it's not because we've cleared up all of the challenges that have gotten us into the bear market. It's because the market seems to be able to look through some things and get ahead of it. The long-term trend line he's talking about dates to the 2009 low. Um, so he, he, you know, he kind of points out that we, it actually ended up being kind of a ceiling along the way in the, in the 2010s for a while. Anniversary And then we this shot week. right above it. Yes, exactly. So now we're talking about you know, 14 years uh, or so from, from that low. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, I think, I think that's where, where the debate actually lies. The people who put a ton of credence on the market's displayed behavior and the fact that industrials and steel stocks uh, and travel stocks are doing extremely well. And the fact that we've created this separation over five months from the October low, uh, say, look, that, that often gets us there. We never spent this much time above the 200-day average in the 2000 bear market, all that stuff. Right. Um, on the other hand, it's not been a particularly strong liftoff, if that's what that was. I mean, you're not even up 20%. It's five months later. You kind of have this sort of heaviness, uh, and that's why it's more of a selective market than it is buy everything because it's a bull market again, even if it is. Stock picker's market. Well, that's what, or that's sector active, picker's market. The active market managers want or, you to believe that, right? Yeah. yeah, but, you know, I always say a stock picker's market is also means there's a ton of room to pick the wrong ones. <laughs> so it doesn't mean it's easy to outperform. It means that it's really important which bets you make within the market as opposed to just grabbing on stuff. And, you know, the biggest stocks in the market, for the most part, haven't been the exciting areas of the market. They're still under a lot of pressure from the highs. And so it's been kind of pockets within it. You know, it's like some people are excited about insurance stocks doing well. You know, others, as I said, the, uh, uh, you know, the mining related stuff, although that's been getting a gut check after the, the China uh, somewhat muted growth expectations right. over the weekend. Uh, meantime, other strategists uh, try to parse the action a little more finely. Stiefel, uh, basically with some shade uh, toward Mike Wilson, saying others are calling it a bull trap. They can call it a bear market rally, a bear trap. They can call it a banana. <laughs> we are not ignoring potential six-month 
10 to 15 percent rallies. They still see 4,300 basically in the next month. Uh, no, by April 23. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's basically he's been saying this, right? Yeah. That he saw the possibility to have exactly this type of cyclical-led uh, relief rally of sorts. Strong seasonals helping that out gets you into April. Uh, you know, 4,300 from here. What are we talking? Seven percent up or, or thereabouts. So it's not nothing, but it might be something where uh, I think everybody uh, seems to feel as if. Maybe the market's not going to really run away from you, even if you think the low is in and even if you think that, you know, we're going to somehow make our peace with what the Fed has to do because the economy is stronger than we expected. Um, Yeah, everyone's made uneasy by the shape of the yield curve. Everybody's made uneasy by how the leading indicators are still, you know, completely in the pre-recession zone. So you have to you have to believe that there's something uh, atypical to some degree about the, the sequencing of this cycle to say, don't worry about that stuff. We're fine. It's up and away from here. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's worth a reminder, you know, 4,800 on the S&P was the record high. Um, that was, what, 14, 15 months ago. Um, so, you know, that's a decent reset. And But nobody, not many people are talking about getting back there too soon. So. No. Uh, I did see Evercore today basically saying... You look at excess savings, still pretty monstrous. Yeah. Uh, household balance sheet, debt as a percentage of GDP, very healthy. It does, they say, open up the full year upside case of 4,600. Yeah. But no, no, not 48. Yeah, I mean, you do have some folks out there thinking that you could do it. But again, if let's say, um, you know, we get there by the end of the year, it would be like a round trip in two years, right? Which is not bad if that was the, if that was the worst the bear uh, had to offer. But yeah, so the resilience of the economy, the question is, um, does it become bad news at some point? I mean, that's what everybody's on edge about. That's why we're worried about a hot jobs number potentially on Friday, uh, because that Mike, could clinch the idea that they have to that the Fed has to. Mike do can't more. help coming back to uh, to the obvious, which is for the first time, I mean, we're looking at charts since 07 and 08. We, there are alternatives. Yes. I mean, there's a journal story today. You know, any any number of of the investment banks have their have their acronyms. There are reasonable alternatives, says Goldman Sachs. Tapas is Deutsche Bank. There are plenty of alternatives. And there's another one called there is a realistic alternative. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But we see it in the fixed income market. Yeah. And that's the first time in a long time. I don't know what that really means for demand to buy stocks during this period. But you can get 5% for a year. No, that's absolutely true. And, you know, so so safety is kind of beckoning to everybody right now because it does have this sort of appeal, this 5%, you can lock it away. But it's fascinating because during the time when we said there is no alternative, right, that was the mantra, rates stayed really low. Why do rates, why do yields stay really low? Because a lot of money was buying bonds. Yes. And a lot of people thought bonds were fine to hide well, it. Well, uh, the Fed was also buying well, a lot of bonds. The Fed was buying too. a tr- I mean, big percentage trillion of dollars is not an yes. insignificant balance sheet, which is That's now being right. reduced. That's absolutely true. Um, the, but the, I, I feel as if it's not either or. Right. So that's the, that's what you always come down to. I mean, you see this de- data point out there where it's, um, oh, the, the short term yields, six or 12 month bills give you five percent more than the 60, 40 portfolio. In my entire career, nobody talked about the 60, 40 portfolio as a source of yield. <laughs> it was like that was just a distribution to right. you know, get a balanced exposure to the markets. So, sure, we have an inverted yield curve. Short yields are, you know, if, if you're happy with that, you're happy with that, by the way. After taxes plus inflation, where are you, right? So you're a saver, not an investor at that point. Yeah. 
Tea bill true. and chill, I think, is what Goldman, how Goldman put yeah, it on Friday. Which is fair. Yeah, um, yeah, fair. Mike mentioned, of course, uh, potential slowdown in China, or at least the economic growth indicators there. Let's, uh, uh, China did set its 2023 growth target of 5% over the weekend. It did kick off as well. It's annual session of the People's National Congress. Eunice Yun is in Beijing to bring us up to date. Eunice. David, it's not just 5%, it's around 5%, as opposed to what people had expected of above 5%. And this is indicating that the Chinese are taking a more cautious approach. It's, and the, the target is lower uh, than expectations, as well as lower than what the target was for last year. Now, the outgoing premier on Sunday had uh, laid out all the targets and also uh, said that he was quite concerned about uh, consumer demand and that domestic demand is key. He also flagged some of the risks, uh, such as um, an, uh, um, uh, an unruly, or he didn't say unruly, but he meant a, an unregulated, I should say, expansion of the real estate market, as well as uh, some softness in the, the jobs market. The unemployment rate uh, indicates that Beijing is going to allow for uh, some more people to go jobless and for the authorities to be okay with that. It's now at around 5.5% for the year, as opposed to under 5.5% last year. Uh, today, the economic planner also indicated another concern of Beijing, and that is the debt risk for uh, local governments. Uh, the authorities said that the, these risks need to be addressed immediately. So the fiscal deficit to GDP ratio is set at 3%. This is slightly higher than last year to help ease some of the pressure for the local governments. They also said that the quota for special local government bonds that usually are used to fund infrastructure projects are going to be scaled back. So all of that means a more modest stimulus than um, many investors had been expecting or hoping for. Eunice, you gave us a good roadmap on Friday as to what to expect, not just in terms of what you're talking about here, but also obviously the new complexion, so to speak, of, uh, of the cabinet, if we want to call it that, the leadership. Uh, any surprises at all over the weekend, or did things go up more or less uh, according to what many had anticipated? Um, so far, no real surprises. The expectation is that um, those institutional changes, which could potentially mean uh, more control of the Communist Party within state institutions, that that could that announcement could be is expected to be on Friday. But we have had some reports, uh, one in particular in the Wall Street Journal, which said that uh, the authorities are thinking of creating a government agency to uh, regulate uh, data, data management. And that uh, right now you have a data kind of looked at it at different organizations. The um, kind of more optimistic way of looking at this is to say that China wants to uh, create a more efficient system. The, um, uh, the other way of looking at it, or a more pessimistic way, is that the Communist Party and um, the uh, top leader, of course, Xi Jinping, wants more control. There's been a lot of discussion about how multinational companies could potentially um, have to get some type of approval uh, for uh, transferring data from their, in, uh, from their operations here in China um, to overseas. So all of that is being discussed right now. 
Eunice, a lot to get to, and we didn't really touch on uh, how they're uh, getting involved or not with uh, the U Ukraine uh, discussion <laughs> geopolitically. Uh, Eunice Yun in Beijing. Eunice, thanks so much. When we come back this morning, Tesla cutting auto prices in the United States again. Uh, we'll get to some of the calls this morning. Actually, quite a few. A Ferrari, a DR Horton, KB Home. Got a new call on Apple today from a pretty large firm. Restoration Hardware as well. There's a look at futures coming off of the bounce of last week, avoiding four straight weeks lower. We're back in a minute. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. One of the things we weren't sure about was the price elasticity of demand for, for Tesla. So like, as we lower the price, how much does demand increase? Um, and we found that even small changes in the price have a big effect on demand, very big. So that was a good thing to learn. That's Elon Musk offering his take on price cuts at Tesla's Investor Day last week. Company now slashing prices for the S and the X in the United States for the second time this year, this time between 4 and 9%. In the case of the X SUV, the price has been lowered by about 10 grand to just under $100,000. Uh, Webbush today says, given the lead they have in margins uh, and given the way the last round of price cuts acted, maybe... This is a position of strength they're sure. operating from. Yeah, I would say that's absolutely true among those who are definitely going to buy an EV and, you know, choosing among them. Um, it is refreshing that microeconomics, the laws of econ economics, apply also to Tesla vehicles. Um, but what it, it does show you that the, the big change from many, many years of, you know, we're supply constrained, demand is this bottomless pool, it doesn't really matter. Um, but I also think that we make a lot more of... Tesla list price changes, then we pay attention to the way that other car makers just modulate their incentives and the dealers are, you know, running specials. So in other words, the effective price is often, you know, fluid for a lot of different types of cars. And yes, you'd have to say um, that they do start from a position of strength. Um, although, again, I, you know, you always have to come back to the fact that the markets already give them copious credit for dominating for a long time to come based on where the stock is and the market value is. Meantime, the Journal has a piece up. Uh, EV startups brace for another tough year as uh, cash dwindles. We did get some results out of Lordstown, uh, where cash is down to $221 million. Uh, Of the new endurance pickups, they delivered three. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's obviously just kind of didn't quite get to scale. I mean, remember when we got all the IPOs and the SPACs of the EV companies and people were saying, you know, in the early days of, of the automobile, there were hundreds of manufacturers. I mean, it's kind of a, you know, a, sort of an echo of that to some degree. Um, so, you know, we're dealing with cyclical pressures. You're dealing with people getting a little bit um, hesitant to pay up 
for uh, for for a lot of these uh, these vehicles. If, if you didn't have, if you didn't see the memo, I mean. Starting an auto manufacturer consumes yeah. an enormous amount of capital exactly. for many, many years. Yeah. Carl's made the point, of course, that Tesla had the advantage of having very low rates, if not zero, for for much of that growth period. Well, low obviously. rates and also they raised a ton of equity. Also, a ability to years. have its yeah. CEO rate uh, and raise a ton of equity, as you say, or a, a great deal of equity yeah. based on his reputation. So it's not easy. I mean, those lucid numbers just, you know. You and they are where they are. As a reflection you know. of just how much and or Rivian, if you want to see what these companies are consuming, just take a look at the last quarter. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, that and that, that gets you back to why Tesla's here in the first place. Because the, so the argument has always been over the value of the head start. You know exactly how 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 far that takes them. Uh, it's taken them pretty far. Yeah, indeed. Uh, meantime, Morgan Stanley's Adam Jonas today um, makes actually race remains the top pick of Ferrari. Yeah. The general point is that they avoid a lot of the EV hype in his view. Yeah. And a lot of the EV risk. Obviously, the base business uh, is historically respected, uh, but he says they they continue to be underestimated in the EV opportunity. I yes. think their targets three ten. Yeah, 310. Price target 310. Yeah, so they're talking about, you know, crossing over, getting to parity between internal combustion and EVs in a few years, or 32, 2032 or something like that. I do find it hilarious, though, the comp that Morgan Stanley uses for uh, Ferrari is Hermes, right? (laughs) That literally, I mean, goes through the whole valuation, the margin structure. It's a luxury good. Uh, it's their bigger market cap than GM or Ford. Yes, yeah, $70 billion market value for Ferrari. It's worth yeah. pointing out. Of course, you can see what's happened. It's crazy, like five, six times sales, and GM and Ford are at one, like 0.3 times sales. At this so, I mean, yeah. It's a different problem. Maybe it's Bernard Arnault's going to buy this, too. There you go. Who knows? Exactly. <laughs> it would fit. Right? In the yeah, portfolio. Exactly. Right? Brand name, huge <laughs> margins. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, really rich people well, have to have like five. LVMH is like bigger than Walmart. You know what I mean? So this is not just unique to autos that the luxury brands get capitalized at massive uh, multiple. I'd love to read the synergy analysis on that one. <laughs> yeah. uh, when we come back this morning, signs of stalling momentum in the housing market as we approach the spring season. We'll talk to the CEO of One Home Builder about what he's seen in this environment on a day where we do have a couple of notable downgrades in the housing space. Futures trying to hang in there. Obviously a lot on deck for the week, beginning with the Fed chair tomorrow and Wednesday. Back in a moment. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. The disinflation momentum that we need to see to get sustainably back to our goal is far from certain. So if I put all of this together, it's clear there is more work to do. In order to put this episode of of inflation, high inflation behind us, further policy tightening maintained for a longer period will likely be necessary. That's San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly over the weekend at Princeton offering her take on rates and inflation. It's interesting. We've been on the lookout for firms looking at a higher terminal rate. How many out there through yeah. a six handle out there today? Goldman does say if consumer spending keeps up the way we think it might, yes. we might be talking about five and three quarters to six. 
Yeah, which uh, is still now above where the market's gotten to. The market is basically pricing five and a quarter to five and a half as the range where it ends up, in, let's say, in the fall uh, or thereabouts. So, but we keep pushing it out. And, and that's been the, really the story of the last several months is elongating the whole process, the, psych, the economic cycle, as well as uh, the Fed tightening moves. Yeah. Although we, did, we are getting a little bit of relief in yields today. 30-year comes down to 382. That's the lowest since about the middle of February. Let's get the opening bell here on the CNBC Real-Time Exchange at the big board of Sclerabate, an information services provider, and at the NASDAQ BiMed provider of respiratory healthcare services. As we kick off what will be a, uh, a busy week, not just, not just Powell, not just jolts, not just jobs, but we'll get Bank of Canada and Japan in there somewhere. Yeah, exactly. So it's uh, it's it's going to be a big reset, perhaps, on uh, what we're expecting with global central bank action. I, I will say the equity market story we were talking about before also applies overseas. I think it's relevant that, you know, we kind of are, are absorbing this higher for longer notion. And Europe been much stronger move really off the lows than, than we've had here. They're coming from a much lower base and they're in the part that those indexes are much more suited to this kind of value and cyclical move. But yeah, it's uh, it's not just what the Fed's up to here. Um, guys, I wanted to take a quick departure if I can to deal land. Uh, as you, know, you guys both know, we haven't had a lot of uh, M&A uh, in the current quarter, but there are a few things that we've been following. One, including this uh, sort of Ritchie Brothers' attempt to buy IAA. Ritchie Brothers, a well-known auctioneer in the industrial industrial sector, essentially. That's where it's sort of key expertise is. IAA is a a digital marketplace for vehicle buyers and sellers. There's been some opposition to the deal uh, amongst some of Ritchie Brothers' shareholders. They have to hold a vote on it on March 14th. It could be tough for them to get approval. Uh, The reason is the uh, sometimes and oftentimes influential proxy advisory firms of both Glass-Lewis and ISS have advised shareholders to vote against the current transaction. By the way, that transaction recently or not too long ago amended um, towards the end of January. It's $12.80 a share in cash and 0.5252 common shares of Ritchie Brothers. So if you put up IAA, not a $5.5 billion market value, you'll see the stock is down about 7.5% this morning. This is new news. I think a couple of wire services may have had ISS out as uh, being opposed. Glass-Lewis also can confirm all that. But there you see it uh, and what's happening. Again, is it mostly dead? No. Is it closer to potentially not happening? Yes. Um, Starboard, for its part, uh, did a structured transaction not long ago in which it basically provided about, uh, it was $500 million. It was a $485 million convertible preferred, $15 million of common shares to sort of help uh, with the capital infusion to help with the deal. But, um, but again, uh, that does look to be in some jeopardy given the influence of these proxy advisory firms, love them or hate them, and many people say they have outsized influence versus what should be the case. And many of these decisions should not be left to them in terms of how these kinds of situations should be voted on by, of course, the large complexes that include many of the index funds. Will they just try to revise something before the vote? How, how, what would be the counter here but from the company? You, you know, either you go to it because you think you can still withstand yeah. the pressure of the no votes, even with these advice against a vote with a vote against, or you do try in some way to perhaps 
ameliorate the concerns of said yeah. shareholders, maybe you, you postpone, obviously. Right now, it's scheduled for the 14th. Doesn't mean they can't uh, push it. We'll keep an eye on that. Haven't followed it that closely since the initial announcement, guys, but worth noting again because this just, uh, this just occurred. Yep. Uh, you might think after the last two days of trading in Apple, there'd be a bit of a reversal, but the follow-through today is interesting on this Goldman uh, yeah, initiation. It is. So, uh, yeah, Goldman initiating uh, under kind of new analyst coverage, a 199 price target, um, so, you know, which is, which is up there. I don't think that's, uh, that there's too many price targets at that level. And it's really, I mean, it's a, it's a thorough look, but it all comes down to, wow, this is an enormous company with a huge install base, and they are smart about kind of essentially refreshing the demand, not just for the phones, but for everything that they put over it. And also making the case that uh, it can become a bit less of a premium buy uh, in a lot of markets because of, uh, you know, higher residual values of the phones. And so the upgrade cycle is, uh, is a little more smoothed out. So uh, it's not so much of a new, you know, we figured out something about Apple you hadn't figured out, but that we sh- you should be paying up uh, for this company. And that's always been the question. It's a no growth year. For Apple, we've known that for a while. This fiscal year is flat earnings, flat revenue is based on the projections, and so you have the entire street coming out and saying, "Yeah, but longer term, it's going to be back toward double-digit, you know, growth over the following two years." Uh, again, you're paying up for it. You're paying mid twenties multiple, but that's that's the cost of uh, of entry at this point. Yeah, uh, talking about filling the channel inventory, um, yeah. they mentioned some new innovations. Pretty easy calendar for comps, uh, Q4 comps, better China macro, which we've been talking about a bit this morning as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the entire market is migrating toward, you know, to some degree, reliable free cash flow type stories. In fact, if you saw the commentary on uh, in aggregate on conference calls for uh, post earnings, free cash flow was was like one of the most common phrases that was uttered. And it's kind of shot through. So Apple's there. It's just, again, you're paying a lot uh, relative (laughs) to the overall market. For, uh, for that free cash flow story. Yeah, not a uh, top performing down name at the moment. Uh, not a surprise uh, with Boeing the laggard. We didn't mention um, these two downgrades uh, uh, in housing, uh, KBH and DR Horton, both at JP Morgan. It's actually a double downgrade of KBH. Uh, they go from uh, 36 down to 32 and a half. That coupled with the RH downgrade at Jefferies kind of yeah. lends itself to a slowing housing furnishing market? It does. Um, I mean, clearly, you know, the, the mortgage rate move was was very dramatic. We're up towards we're 7% again. Um, there's been some revisionism about how much that matters um, for the builders specifically, not for the overall market. But this idea is, with, as you've mentioned, a tremendous percentage of people with like sub 4% mortgages, they're kind of locked. They're not likely sellers to sort of get back on the market and, and finance a new house. So there's still this supply-demand gap. I mean, I think you had some commentary out there from uh, folks saying, as long as we're below 8% on mortgage rates, somehow you can make the math work. So I don't know. These uh, home builders have had to kind of make concessions in terms of effective selling price to get there. Uh, to, to even get move the volumes that they're they're doing right now. Right. So uh, nice piece last week from Axios on why rate hikes haven't had the punch we expect. Yeah. Part of it is that exactly. the percentage of mortgage debt that yeah. flo- that whose rates float is like five percent. You know, there's another piece of it which we never really think about, which is the other side of the ledger when it comes to higher rates, which is domestically people own a lot of bonds wealthy people own a lot of income instruments and it's been this huge windfall with with yields going up 
And so high-end spending can get supported for a long period of time on that. Um, in a weird way, it's a, it's a kind of unintended fiscal stimulus because the government's paying out that much more in interest uh, into, a lot of times, you know, investment accounts and savings accounts. Guys, uh, as, as you know, continue to keep an eye on Activision uh, and, you know, Microsoft's continued attempts to try to buy the company despite the opposition, potentially significant opposition from the uh, antitrust authorities in the UK. But want to note, I mean, that stock's near 80. Look at that move. Um, $95 deal, don't forget. So it's still well below, obviously, still to a certain extent expressing the uh, skepticism many have that the deal will ultimately be able to get to fruition. Perhaps this has been uh, helped, this move by uh, that news last week that the EU, and again, this was reported, I think, by Reuters, but uh, so I can't say it's not my reporting that, you know, would not require any structural changes in the EU in terms of their review, but behavioral remedies. But that doesn't mean that they've dealt with the CMA in the UK. And as we've said countless times, that is the key impediment right now, not even the FTC here in our country, which we haven't really dealt with as of yet and would require the deal to go beyond its current drop dead date and be extended. But um, it's still not clear how that's going to help. Maybe the idea is, well, if the EU, a trusted authority on regulation when it comes to uh, antitrust is saying you don't need a structural remedy, then why would the CMA? And right. does that put in stark relief the idea that perhaps they're being more political? That seems to be at least the thinking. And one reason, Mike, why that stock has moved up quite a lot. I don't think it's on the fundamentals. I don't know that we got any other reports that would have necessarily indicated more strength in their business since we heard from them. Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, Take-Two has had a good run, but I don't think it's been a general move in the, in the area or related to Activision. So at this point, if you just boil it down, it's uh, a bit more than $10 of upside. Is it $90 cash? No, 95. 95. 95. Sorry, yeah, 15. 15. So yeah, I mean, it's a huge implied return if the deal happens. Without That's a doubt. the whole thing. And it could yeah. still happen relatively well, although you've still got a decent amount of time again because you have the FTC in opposition here. Yeah. We haven't even started dealing with that, but of course many had thought that the deal, as I've said, was mostly dead after the CMA indicated its significant opposition. I wonder if there's questions um, about just how hard Microsoft will fight for it. Obviously they want to close the deal. They're they fighting committed. Hard. Yeah, they're um, fighting harder than many had anticipated, yeah. I think, at this point because there had been an expectation not an expectation, but at least some question as to whether they would just get, put their hands up after the CMA opposition. Well, just, and just because, like, $2 trillion company buying $60 billion, I mean, it would be nice. They clearly want it. They, they, there's reasons for doing the deal. And, of course, they don't want to, you know, deal with the breakup and everything. But, you know, how far do you want to go? Right. I mean, just the market cap they've added on the excitement around Bing and, yeah. and ChatGPT, uh, far uh, in excess of of the, obviously the market cap they'd add with the acquisition here. Sure. Um, guys, a few other things to hit. Uh, Altria, I don't know if you saw it, buys another e-cigarette startup. This one's called Enjoy. 2.8, let's call it 2.75 billion in cash uh, for this company. Uh, 500 million in cash payments that are contingent upon regulatory outcomes uh, with respect to some of their uh, various products. They continue to believe, they say, that the US e-vapor category will undergo a multi-year transition period as the FDA makes marketing determinations on the significant number of currently pending um, applications for tobacco-derived and synthetic nicotine e-vapor products. And they say over the next few years, the, issue, the FDA will issue marketing determinations on all of those uh, currently uh, applications, uh, standing applications. Um, this is part of their key strategy. But remember, of course, it was 2018 when they announced they were buying 35% of Juul for $12.8 billion. 
They sold it for 250 million bucks. Yeah. As we like to say, Altria got smoked on uh, that deal. Yeah. Um, Carl, you did a you did a doc not that long after that deal, if I recall right, on Jewel. Um, it didn't go well. No, uh, they were definitely after a hyper growth. Uh, there had been some reasonable uh, use cases. The UK very supportive, just in terms yeah. of getting people to migrate off of uh, heated tobacco. Uh, but the, the lengths that they went to stay au courant, I mean, yeah. whether that's appealing to kids, flavors, just got them in incredibly hot water with regulators. For sure. And also reflects, I mean, the price paid uh, for the stake initially just reflects the kind of panic of, a, you know, a business which, let's be honest, for years has been, you know, considered to be in, perm- in long-term decline, valued that way. If there was a way to kind of prolong the life and maybe even get some growth, it was going to be grabbed. So uh, Altria was was carrying the jewel stake, I guess, at $250 million already. So it's like from the market's perspective, right. the pain they, was felt already. Thank you for yeah. pointing that. The write-down had already been accounted for, but yeah. the fact is it has now been cemented. Uh, and it was an incredible loss of value, oh, yeah. obviously. Almost all of the $12.8 billion for that 35% stake at the time. Can figure out what it valued Jewel at. And by the way, they didn't even get the antitrust, remember? I mean, the thing just didn't work at all. They never got the approvals they even needed. A disaster all around. But to your point, perhaps some panic there. Finally, even though, again, we don't have a lot of new M&A, there's stuff going on, guys. Uh, last thing I'll end with on my front is uh, Silver Lake bidding for Qualtrics. Remember not long ago, SAP said, hey, we're going to put up Qualtrics for sale. Um, Silver Lake owned about 4% of it at the time. They are now in exclusive talks with SAP to acquire uh, that company. The stock had already moved up. XM is the symbol there significantly once we heard from SAP some time back. But you can see it's having a positive impact. They've got not that long. They've got until, uh, when is it? Until uh, March 15th. They're in exclusive talks. $18.15 is the price that they are at least negotiating right now. Um, about a 73% premium to what they call the unaffected average of the daily volume prior to SAP saying they were looking to sell that unit. There's actually quite a bit of tech stuff today. Sienna today, almost a six-month high on their results. We're not getting a lot of earnings this week, but that is one of them. Some bullish commentary on Netflix on their password sharing revenue. Uh, Netflix is up almost 2%. And, of course, we got the Morgan Stanley TMT Morgan Stanley TMT conference. Some of the commentary ahead of that is, you know, I think there's some warmer feelings toward rationalization in the in the streaming economy a lot of these media companies have essentially taken you know a lot of write downs on content so basically kind of front loaded some losses maybe it's a little bit of a cleaner story from here if they get spending discipline but yeah the resilience of uh, the revenue growth story at Netflix uh, is you know trying to substantiate that uh, big move in the stock yeah. that it's had by the way did, David did you see we got that 60 minutes uh, chat GPT story that oh, yeah. we predicted I did. last week. I did, yeah. Uh, it's funny, we haven't mentioned it yet, but we will get to it. We're going to have the analysts behind a very long report of Morgan Stanley in the next hour, I think, as well. But yes, 60 Minutes has woken up to it now, too. That's a, that's a, that's a, t- that's a touchstone, it's one of them. right? Yeah. When you know it's, something's for real. <laughs> Take a look at uh, bonds this morning as we got the Dow up 68 to start the day. Uh, treasuries this morning, we did mention the 30-year got down to 3826, and the 10-year right around 391. Uh, Uh, Not a lot of Fed speak as we clear the decks for Powell tomorrow. We're back in a moment. 
We talked about the JPM downgrade today of home builders KB Home and DR Horton a few moments ago. Our next guest believes despite some short-term challenges like rate hikes, the labor market and recession fears, we are going to see strong underlying demand for new homes throughout the rest of the year. Here to discuss today is TriPoint Home CEO Doug Bauer. Doug, welcome back. Good to see you again. Hey, Carl. How you doing? Thank you. I'm good. You know, I was just looking at this journal piece today. Basically, they're talking about existing home market, but they do say that momentum is stalling as we're going into the all-important spring season. That that doesn't necessarily reflect what you're seeing and new. No, I, you know, on the heels of a record 2022, um, we just reported, you know, I'm very encouraged by the green shoots uh, that I'm seeing going into the spring. At the same time, I'm very constructive about how the economy is, is going to play out this year. But, it, you know, Carl, it's interesting. We, we talked last year um, about the strong underlying demand from the demographics that we see in the U.S. And in 22, we saw seven rate increases and the consumer uh, saw mortgage rates go from three to seven percent. And they paused. Um, the consumer psyche, though, is very interesting, um, somewhat unpredictable and really the biggest driver of sales. And as we head into 2023, the consumer has decided that three to 4% mortgages are a thing of the past. And, and what is left is something between six and a seven. And there's some you know, you know, good demand out there. Um, there's some other contributing factors uh, that are important to note. Um, and two of the, couple of the biggest ones are the resale market, Carl, is uh, has been our biggest competitor. Uh, it's not moving though because most of America is locked in at three to four percent. So uh, with with that lack of competition and the home builders being able to offer permanent and temporary rate buy downs that the resale market can't, it gives us a distinct advantage to, for this demographic tailwind. When you talk about the flexibility to, to do those buy downs and make it more palatable on the rate side of things, how much flexibility do you have just on getting your own costs lower? Um, it seems as if there was a, you know, a lot of the builders are clearing, you know, backlogs that had built up. And now affordability seems to be the thing that has to, you know, move uh, in, a, in a lower direction to really refresh the market. So how much can you uh, do on the cost side uh, on your own? Uh, great question, Mike. Um, as we reported last week, um, our, our our company is looking to get 10 to 20 percent in, in cost savings by the end of the year. That really will affect homes, you know, closing at the end of the year going into 24. But at the same time, some of the other contributing factors to the consumer is uh, we have adjusted net pricing down roughly 10 to 15 percent off the peak of 22. So when you take a look at cost relief going into the year and, and then the, the uh, resultant uh, uh, price decreases, we still are able to hold our margins, you know, in the low, low 20 percent range. So the home builders going into this cycle are very well positioned, strong balance sheets, strong margins going into this. And affordability, as you said, is the key. Uh, we need to continue to adjust pricing to payments. Hey, Doug, it's David. You know, uh, just to come back to your first answer to Carl, you said you're very constructive on the way the economy is going to play out this year. And I'm curious as to why. Well, I guess I'm constructive because I'm a little bit cautious is probably a better way to put it, David. Uh, it's it's I'm not sure it's going to be a no landing 
a soft landing, a hard landing. It's really hard to tell. Uh, but the one thing I, I know, I, I started this business uh, with a mortgage of 15%. And uh, the consumer will adjust as well as the builders. And, and this cycle, as, as, as we go through it, um, the builders are better positioned both financially, margin-wise going into the cycle. So when I say constructive, I say I, I would rephrase it as cautious. Uh, but you said the economy, not you didn't seem to imply just your business. So are you oh, uh, yeah. broadly? Ca- cautious of, yeah, cautious about the economy going into the end of the year. OK, OK, that explains it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Doug, f- finally, on, on net pricing, um, how much have you adjusted and do you think you're, you're kind of done? Well, you know, in certain markets, uh, we've seen some some strong reaction to our net pricing adjustments. As I mentioned, we're down 10 to 15 percent. Many of our competitors down as well. Um, I, I believe that as the economy and if, and if the Fed continues to uh, increase rates, we will continue to find the right price and the right payment for the consumer. So uh, time will tell during the year. Uh, we do have that flexibility, though, to meet the demand of the consumer as we go into the rest of this year. I'm glad we had you today. Uh, Timely discussion given some of the news this morning. Doug, thanks so much. Good to see you. Thanks, Carl. Doug Bauer. Mike, thanks for joining us this morning. All right. Good to see you. Coming up, uh, the Morgan Stanley analyst who's out with a note about what he calls a $6 trillion AI internet opportunity with the Dow of 50. Don't go away. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.